Guys, uh, in that video, I love that video. You know, we're in partnership together in missions. I don't know if you knew that, but your church and fam, we're partnered together to make a really unique difference in a place like what's popping up on the screen right now. It's eight countries that make up a region of the earth called South Asia. They're going to be popping up. When you see that, I want you to know something about these eight countries. In these eight countries, 20% of the world's population live in those eight countries. Now, let's think about that. 20% of all the earth lives right there in those eight countries. Now, you might not know this either, but 25% of all the Muslims on the earth live in those eight countries right there. Of all the unreached people groups, like the ones you saw in the video and the places where they live and the idols and the temples that they worship and their other things, of all those, the majority of the rest of the people on the earth that have not yet heard about Jesus live in those eight countries. Guys, it's, it's the heartbeat. It's, it's the frontier. It's where everybody with a heart like ours wants to get to to pronounce the gospel of Jesus and be telling people about Christ. And that's our focus and that's our partnership together, particularly in this one little spot. Check out this little orange dot popping up on the map. It's Astro's Orange. Check it out. We did that just for you guys, all right? Now, in that, that's a state, like Texas is a state in the U.S., if you didn't know that. You've been good on that? Okay. There's states in India as well. Odisha is a state. Now, in that state, it's a little bit different than Texas or Arkansas, where I come from. In Arkansas, it's about the same size, but we have three million people where I used to live, where I grew up. And 50% of them are Baptist, if you ask them. They'd say, yeah, we're Baptist. They may not be Christian, but they're Baptist, right? Okay. So anyway, 50% of them. In a place like Odisha, instead of having three million, it has 45 million people. And less than 2% of them have ever even heard the name of Jesus. Guys, that's what we're up against. I'm telling you, it's a challenging place. In 2008, a wave of persecution swept it. Hundreds of people lost their life. I've been to the homes where there's still hatchet marks on the doors where people are trying to break in the homes of Christians. But what happened was in that wave of persecution in 2008, it caused the church, caused the followers of Christ to really be scared and to kind of step back into the shadows a bit. Now, they didn't give up on their faith. They had to tell people about Jesus, but it was very hush-hush. There wasn't a, a great movement of God that was sweeping across, trying to reach those people that have never heard. It was almost like it was silenced. It was stopped. But by God's grace, with partners like you guys and a church just down the street called Sagemont, we've been able for the last five years to be working right in that spot. And what we've seen is a new, fresh wave of the gospel pouring forth, seeing tens of thousands of people coming into the kingdom of God right in that place. Amen? Isn't that awesome? So I just want to say thank you. It's my first time to get to come and be with you, Only even though I live 45 minutes from here in Memorial area. It's my first time to get to come to say thank you for your partnership. Man, to look you guys in the eye and say, let's keep working to bump the needle right in that place. But also, let's not forget about this southeast section of Houston while we're doing it. Man, I love missions. I'm a missionary. You're like, well, you're pretty handsome to be a missionary. You're a sharp dresser to be a missionary. Last missionary we had, he wasn't as cool looking as you. I get that a lot. All right, I get that a lot. But anyway, I am a missionary. And in that, I care about what's happened in those eight countries. That's my job. That's my calling. That's why God put me on the earth. But as much as I care about that, I didn't come here today just to squeeze you for South Asia. I came to encourage you and to motivate you for Southeast Houston. 
Because every life matters to Jesus. For those that have never had a chance to hear, or if they lived in this part and they've had tons of chances to hear and never took the opportunity on it, right? Never acted on it. They had a loving, praying, godly grandma and they just blew her off all the time. Their parents were dragging them to church every Sunday. They just fought it, fought it, fought it, fought it, fought it. They heard everything on K-Love and radio and billboards and churches on every street corner and they were just immune to it. Listen, we care about those people too. And God's placed you guys right here to do something about it. He's given you an Acts 1-8 mission to say, join up with a crazy guy like KP up there preaching with four broke ribs. All right, jump in with them and let's go do something for those that have never heard. But we're going to do it all, right? We're going to do it all so that people know the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about something. We're going to think about South Asia. We're going to think about Southeast Houston. And where that starts is right here with us. I want you to think about the last seven days of your life. Just think about the last seven days. In those last seven days, I want you to think about all the conversations that you've had, right? And just think how embarrassing it would be if they were all recorded, right? I mean, then it would really be embarrassing, right? Okay, now most of this section of the room, their conversations are recorded on uh, TikTok. Is that what it's called? Or Snapchat or something like that. I have not teenage girls anymore, but half of your conversations were recorded. Think about that for a second, all right? Now, for us that just use phones, most of those weren't recorded. Some of you guys, they were recorded, and the law might be looking for you. We'll check up on that later, okay? Now, think about all the conversations you've had the last seven days. Now, think about all the things you two talked about, right? With all those conversations with friends, with frenemies with family, with neighbors, with people at school, conversations you wanted to have, conversations you wanted to have you didn't get around to, conversations you had to have but you didn't want to have, all those conversations that went on this week. And I want to put a question before you. Have you ever considered the power, I mean really the power of a timely, loving, intentional conversation Especially when that conversation centers around the message and the person of Jesus. You know, we have a lot of conversations. We get into them. Some we are flipping about. Some we kind of get in very casually. We don't even give much attention to the words going on, the emotion, the body language of it. We just get in them, get, get in them and get out of them. We don't pay attention. But I want you to know, these conversations we're having, they are powerful. Especially when they're done in that loving timely, intentional manner, and even more so when that conversation is focused on the life-changing message of Jesus from how he's impacted our life and how he can touch your life. And I want you to go back a little further, not just seven days. You may have to go back further than this. I want you to go back to that time in your life when you were at a real crossroads. I mean, you were at a real crossroads. You had to make a life-altering decision. Something significant was on the table. You had to make a decision. You needed some wisdom. You needed some help. You needed a word of encouragement. You're going to need something beyond yourself to make sense of the opportunity, the, the question, the challenge that's set in front of you. And when that was happening in your life, whether it was last week, last month, 10 years ago, or you feel like it's happening right now, I want you to think back. What was the conversation that helped you make that decision? Who stood before you 
with a loving, listening ear. And able and ready to really speak truth in a caring way, in an intentional way, in a timely way. And it gave you the wisdom. It gave you the encouragement to take the action that was going to be necessary for that life-transforming decision that was in front of you. Think about who that was. Think about when that was. Think about how that took place and how meaningful, how impactful that one conversation was in your life. For me, that conversation came when I was 18 years old. You're like, man, that must have been a long time ago. Well, listen, that wasn't that long ago, all right? Wasn't that long ago. When I was 18, I was at that crossroads. Man, my life seemed like it was falling apart. I was about to drop out of high school my senior year. That's dumb, right? You made it 18 years. Stick with it. I'm about to drop out of school my senior year. Life seems to be going down the tubes. Had no sense of direction, no purpose, no meaning. And the bad thing was, I was a follower of Christ. Man, I was raised in a Christian home. My grandfather was the pastor of our church. But in the midst of all that, I just seemed to be running from everything that I can and giving the best of me to the worst things of life. Denying my purpose, denying my identity in Jesus. And it came to where I just felt so much guilt and shame that I couldn't take it anymore. And finally, I came to my grandpa. I called him dad. He was my pastor. He was my best friend. He was my father figure, my grandfather, everything. And I finally came to him. You know how grandpas do, right? Grandpas, they've been watching you and they're kind of waiting for that teachable moment. We call it fishing. They call it teaching, right? (laughs) They're like, we're waiting to get you in that right where we want you. On the middle of a lake on a boat, right? Anywhere they can get you. Grandpas are like that. And grandpas talk to you different than your dad does. Dads tell you what to do. Grandpas talk sweet wisdom to you, right? I mean, grandpas are awesome. So my grandpa comes to me and I'm I'm at him. I say, I come to him. I'm all emotional, you know? I'm like, dad, I said, why is all this stuff always coming down on me? My friends do the same things I do. They never get caught. They never get in trouble. Nothing ever bothers them. Nothing ever bugs them. Why is all this stuff always coming down on me? And my grandpa looks at me and says, Kevin, I'll tell you why. Because you're a child of God. And he's not going to let you get away with it. He said, Kevin, I want to tell you something. I've been watching you for 18 years. And I want to tell you something I've wanted to tell you for a long time. But I've been waiting till you were ready. I've been waiting for that teachable moment. And he saw that in me and he took his opportunity. He said, Kevin, I want to tell you something I want to tell you for a long time. He said, I've been watching your life and you're serving two masters. But you're going to have to come to a time in your life where you realize you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other or serve one and despise the other. But you cannot serve two. And that conversation, that intentionality, that compassion, that teachable moment, That one conversation right there changed the trajectory of my whole life. You say, you mean that conversation at 18 can change your whole life? Right then, right there, my destiny changed because I decided I'm no longer going to be dichotomized as a man. I'm no longer going to serve these two masters. I'm going to turn my face toward God. I'm going to seek to honor him with all of my life the best I know how. And it's made me the man that's standing before you today. The power of a loving, timely, intentional conversation focused around the person and the message of Christ. Guys, I tell you what, there is great power in it. But here's the deal. You're all looking at me saying, 
Okay, I thought we were going to learn something we didn't know. You're like, we already knew all this. I'm looking at you like, we've been going to church for a while. There's, there's, I don't see a lot of rookies in here. Like, which, what, we're supposed to stand or sit? Everybody knew when to stand? Everybody knew when to sit? Did David had to give you a couple of prompts, but you knew it pretty much. There's no rookies in here. You've heard, you know everything I've talked about so far. But here's the deal. Even though we know all this, even though we know it all, there's still too much silence from us who have been found. Even though we know the power of that conversation, we felt it, we've experienced it, it's been transformational in our life. Still, it seems like this area of sharing our faith with others, taking the time to be intentional, to be caring, and to put ourselves out there and have that conversation, it seems like in the life of us who are followers of Christ, this can be one of the most neglected, intimidating, and guilt-ridden parts of our relationship with Christ. We feel unprepared. We feel unqualified. We feel unwhatever, right? But let me let you in on a little secret. People are more willing to have a gospel conversation with you and with me than we're willing to initiate one with them. Do you know that? Do you really know that? Hey, that person that you're like, man, I just feel stirred. I feel prompted inside of my heart that I need to share with them the hope that I found. But I feel unprepared. I feel unqualified. I feel unworthy. I fear rejection. Man, I'm here to tell you, I know it. It's, it's a secret, but I'm letting you in on it right now. They're more willing to have that gospel conversation with you than you're willing to start it with them. So let's overcome it, right? And take advantage of the proverb found, the truth of it in Proverbs 25 verse 11 that says this. He talks about a fitting, timely word. Look at this great proverb, this great nugget of wisdom for us to use as as we try to get out of the guilt trip and the feeling of being unprepared and gather up the boldness and the motivation from the inside to have that life-changing gospel conversation. Take a look at it. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold set in silver. And all the ladies said, oh yeah, the holidays are coming. Take advantage. What's that, Proverbs 2511? That's the first note I'm taking today. All right, gotcha. Proverbs 25, 11. Let's just take a longer look at it real quick. A word fitly spoken. Apples of gold set in silver. Now, sometimes we hear some words that are spoken to our life, and they don't take like an apple that's uh, set in gold, of, of gold set in silver, right? Well, sometimes a word gets spoken to us, and it tastes like a sour apple, right? <laughs> it just puckers us up, and we're like, man, I could have done without that, right? It puckers up our heart. It puckers us up toward the people. puckers us up to ourselves. Man, that's not the kind of word I'm talking about, giving people sour apples, right? We've done enough of that, and we've seen the result. My grandpa didn't give me a sour apple. My grandpa didn't give me a rotten apple. You ever had any of those kind of conversations? Man, it was just rotten the whole time. Made you feel bad about yourself. Made you feel bad about them. <laughs> made you feel bad about everything. You're, you'd, you'd just rather not have that conversation, right? You hope it was not recorded. But listen, that word fitly spoken is like sweet apples. Apples of gold, satin, silver. That they're pure. They're valuable. All right? They're enduring. They're beautiful. They're helpful. That's the kind of word we're talking about. And when we approach it like that, 
When we approach our relationships, when, when we step up to have that kind of conversation, listen, people are more willing to have that conversation with us then we're willing to initiate it with them. So let's change that, right? Let's see what we can do about changing it. So what if things could be different? Really, think about it. Remember all those times you felt guilty that, you know, you heard those sermons? Yes. Man, I'll tell you what, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this since I was some of your guys' age, since I was 18 years old. I've been doing this for about 30 years. And I know that I'm, I'm really up against it today. I'm in about the worst spot a preacher can be in this morning. Preaching another sermon on why you need to witness more. <laughs> That's like the worst spot a preacher can be in, right? Because half of you just went like this, oh, brother, here we go again. One of those guilt-driving sermons about how we're not doing enough, right? I already feel enough pressure, KP. I don't need any more. Quit laying it on me. Listen, what if things could be different? What if, what if there was no more guilt trips, but just being more intentional in life? What if things could be different? What if we were not motivated by a guilt and external pressures? But what if we were motivated by the freedom and joy that we have found in Christ? What if things could be different? What if we had filled the well of our life where we no longer felt unprepared or unqualified, but we had filled the well of our life, and when those teachable moments present themselves, or our friends and our neighbors or our coworkers or the people we live close to, when we see hurts and pressures and pain in their life, we feel prepared. The well of our life has been filled, and we can step into that encounter with a fitting word like an apple of gold set in silver valued, appreciated, helpful, not bitter, rotten, or sour. Man, can you imagine what it would be? Just imagine what it had been like if I'd have come to my grandpa in my darkest hour, right? In my brokenness. I come to my grandpa and I'm like, dad, man, I'm broken. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. My life is at the crossroads. God has a destiny for me, but this is going to be the defining moment whether I get on that path or not. Here it is. And my grandpa's like, well, son, uh, <clears throat> tell you what, the game's on and the news is coming up and I got to get to bed. What if he'd have been like, hey, you know, Oprah said something cool last week. And what if he, I mean, imagine if he'd have just went for worldly wisdom. What if he had turned the conversation because he felt it was uncomfortable? But man, I thank God. My grandpa saw the opportunity, stepped into that encounter, spoke that fitting word. He had filled the well of his life with the word of God, and he spoke truth out of Matthew 7 about the two masters I was trying to serve and brought a truth that transformed my life. Guys, you know it. You have it. But what it has to do is it has to get out of here, get up into our heart, transform us, and then get active in transforming the lives of others. You have that word planted in you. Now it's time to abundantly sow it. Guys, in our ministry, we see a ton of great work. I mean, it's awesome. It really is awesome. We're planting over five churches a day. We're starting like 27 outreach Bible studies every 30 days. We're seeing more than one person, 1.5 people being baptized every hour. So there'll be like three people baptized in the time I finish this sermon. It's going to be awesome. You're right, Pastor. They don't laugh at your jokes. <laughs> that was funny, man. I mean, that was funny. You guys got to lighten up. I mean, this group right here has to lighten up. That was funny. Uh, maybe they're like, was he serious? I think he was serious. He, he doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. I don't know. If he had broke ribs, we'd be scared. All right. But guys, here's the deal. 
People ask me, why do we see that kind of stuff so much overseas, but we don't see it right here in Southeast Houston? And here's the deal. I think our guys just sow more seed than you do. Come on, he's right. I know how our guys live. I know how much they share. I know how they put their life on the line in some of the most dangerous places in the world to live and be a Christian. They put their life on the line. I watch them. I coach them. I lead them. I've lived with them. And as I see that going on, I know how much seed they're sowing every week, getting that fitting, timely, intentional, compassionate word out there, having those conversations. Man, one of the reasons, don't mystify it. One of the reasons we see more of that over there than we do here, they're just sowing more seed than we are. So how can we fix that? Well, imagine if these what ifs I gave you, what if we could be more intentional? What if we could be motivated not by guilt, but by transformation? What if we could fill the well of our life instead of just feeling unprepared or unqualified? Can you imagine if these what ifs became realities in the life of First Baptist Church of Friendswood? in your student ministry, in your Sunday school class, your small group, in your household, in your family, in your life. Can you imagine if these what-ifs became realities? No more missed opportunities. Think how many we missed this week. I say we, right? How many opportunities we missed this week in all the conversations we had? No more guilt trips. I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to feel ashamed. I met a 90-something-year-old woman down at the front today. You know, she told me, get to this, especially if you're like 14 or 19 or 29 or 49. 90-something-year-old woman comes to me this morning and says, Bro, I just want to do more. <laughs> I, I just wish I could do more. And I said, you know what? We all do, but we can do what we can. And she said, that's exactly what I want to do. So no more guilt trips, but guilt comes when we do wrong. Don't compare yourself to me. Don't compare yourself to Pastor David. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Do what you can do, but do it, right? Do it. Do what you can do, but do it. Don't say, I could have, but I didn't. Hey, there's some guilt there. Do what you can do, but do it. No more guilt trips. No more wasted opportunities. No more wasted conversations. No more dead ends with our friends and family and neighbors. How do we turn those realities, those what-ifs, into realities? I want to share with you one of the most special verses in all the New Testament to me. And something that's not just good preaching, but something that has helped me to turn those what-ifs into realities. Get off the guilt hamster wheel. Stop wasting and missing opportunities. And actually take what Jesus has done in me and the hope and faith that he's given me. And in a timely, intentional, and compassionate way, speak that fitting word, have that gospel conversation at just the right time in somebody's life. Here it is. How can we turn those what-ifs into realities? I want to share with you Philemon verse 6. Now, in this one book chapter of the Bible, we have a guy named Paul who writes a letter to a guy named Philemon. Paul has helped in some way get this church going in the town that he lived in called Colossae. This guy is one of the leaders in, in his house church within that community. And there's some stuff going on that's a little off with a couple of the people in their relationships. And Paul's going to address all that stuff. But earlier in that, we get to see some good leadership principles. And we're going to look at how Paul was encouraging and motivating 
Philemon to do what he knew he needed to do, to do what he knew what was in them to do, and do it. And it gives us great insight about how we can minimize our wasted opportunities, can get out of that cycle of guilt, shame, guilt, shame, guilt, shame, guilt, shame, that keeps us even more silent. The more guilt on our shoulders about not sharing the gospel, the more silent we get. To experience that transformation that gives us a story worth telling and can relate it to people in their time of need. And I want you to see the words that Paul writes to Philemon and see how they land on us today. I love these words. He could have guilted him. He could have just told him to pick it up and do more. But here's what he said to him. Let's see it. Dealing with this exact issue, we're talking about gospel conversations. No more wasted opportunities. No more wasted time. But sharing from a deep well that has been transformed. He says this. Hey, Philemon, Philemon, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith. So that you would have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. You see, when it comes down to it, the sharing of our faith is an act of obedience and is an act of our discipleship. And Paul says, here's what I'm praying. I pray that you would have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. Every minister on this team at this church, that's exactly what they want for you. They want you to have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. Not just a little bit of it, not just half of it. They want you to have all of it, have all of it. But Paul gives us a secret. He said, I pray that you would have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. So what's the secret? Look in the middle. I pray that you would have that full understanding. And the way that's going to come is when you get active in sharing your faith. So here's what I've come to learn. I love these environments. Us who are preachers, we love this environment, right? We talk, you listen. We love it. I wish our kids listened like, I couldn't get my kids to listen without talking for 30 minutes if I paid them to do it, right? But look at you. You all just listen so good. It's great, right? For an hour and a half, two hours, whatever. You're like, don't tempt us, brother. We'll walk out. <laughs> we will bolt. No, it's, it's cool. And you know what? You do learn in here. You got a great pastor. He spent time learning the scriptures. He's educated in them, communicating. Your student minister's doing the same. Your other ministers are doing that on a large group and small group and personal level. But there's just some things you're not going to understand about your faith and what you have in Christ Jesus just in this environment, right? Even in your own personal devotions and quiet times. Even in a small group Bible study, there's a lot you can learn and a lot of value and benefit, but there's some things that you can only learn about who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, and the only environment avenue to learn that is getting out on the skinny end of the branch and being active in sharing your faith. Why is that? Well, let's just take a, a look at the nature of a branch, okay? When the branch gets closer to the trunk... It's more thick, right? right? It's thick. It's stable. You can jump up and down on it. You can stand there. You can lean on it. You know what I mean? You can even take your eye off the prize. You can let your guard down a little bit, right? You may even fall asleep like some of y'all are doing in the back. Right? No, I'm kidding. Nobody's sleeping here. They're like, we're not sleeping with this crazy guy up there. We're keeping an eye on you. Right? 
So, you know, when you're on the fat end of the branch, you're kind of taking it easy a little bit. You're close to the trunk. If the wind blows hard against you, right, it might tip you over, you just grab the trunk, right? But the further you go out on the branch, when you get out there in the real world, when you get out there behind enemy lines, when you get out there with unchurched people and all the business that goes with that, the further you get out, the skinnier the branch gets, and it starts getting like this a little bit, right? I mean, every wind that blows, you're feeling it, right? Every challenge that comes, you're facing. You've got to stay focused. You've got to stay on guard. You're keeping your balance. You're keeping your core tight. Man, you're there. You're watching it because you're sharing your faith. You're making your heart vulnerable. You're putting it out there. You're being challenged back, and you're like, man, they told me I needed to read the scriptures. Now I know why. I'm on the skinny end of the branch. I need to know who I am in Christ. I need to know who I belong to, who I'm going to serve. They told me I needed to pray, but when I was close to the trunk, I didn't pray. I just grabbed hold. But when you're on the skinny end of the branch, man, you got to pray because you're out there behind enemy lines. And the further out on the skinny end you get, the more dependent on Christ you get. And the more dependent on Christ you get, the more he leads you to a heart of obedience. And the more obedient you become, the more you understand every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. Your ministerial staff wants that for you. Man, the king of all kings, he wants that for you. But it's only found, guys. I, I wish we could manufacture it for you. Wish we could put it in a little bottle and dab it on you. Wish we could slip it under your pillow at night or sing it into you, you know, subliminally. But for you to really know every good thing you have in Christ Jesus, it's only found on the skinny end of the branch. So where are you? Just put yourself somewhere on that branch. Where's your comfort zone? Hey, get out of that comfort zone. Say, KP, you've been gone a long time. You, you lived overseas for a decade. You go on mission trips all the time. Hey, on a mission trip, I'm way out there. I'm with you for that 10 days. But when I get home, I get closer to the trunk, right? KP, you've been gone a long time. You may have forgot how hard it is to actually have a gospel conversation with your friends at school. You're old. You've been out of school a long time. You may have forgotten what it's like. Hey, with your neighbor, KP, I don't know if you even know your neighbors, you know, but I don't know if you know how hard it is to be that vulnerable and transparent and intentional with your neighbors in Houston, Texas. KP, I don't know if you really know what's going down in Houston. You're kind of new. You've only lived here four years. It's hard here. I think you may be missing it. You may not know what we're really up against. I get it. Like I said, I've been doing this a long time. I understand it. It's difficult. It's hard. But I want to take you to a spot where a guy had to figure out how do I get on the skinny end of the branch and with the rest of the days I have to live, how do I find every good thing that I have in Christ Jesus? Man, I get it's tough in a school in Friendswood or Pearland. I get it, man. It's tough at your workplace. And there's persecution and opposition there. Hey, it's tough with the neighbors, right? Just to find the intentionality and create the margin in your life to even have a conversation at all. I get it. But I met a guy 
in a Pakistani prison on death row that figured out how to get it done. See, some of the guys on our team and our ministry, they went looking for a place where they could have gospel conversations, be starting groups and winning people to Christ. And the place they saw they thought was best, I mean, they're crazier than me. They're like, let's go to that prison. So that's where they went, in Pakistan. A Muslim prison is where they decided to go to start this ministry. So they show up there and they, and they start their ministry. And one of the guys that starts attending the small group Bible study for outreach, right? We call it a story group. The guy that comes is a convicted murderer on death row. And this murderer shows up and he's challenging the guys. He's trying to figure this out. He's coming from a Muslim point of view and he's asking tough questions. Plus he's on death row and all this stuff. And our guys didn't know how to handle it. So they called one of the big brothers in the faith. And he came down and he started spending time with them. And, and he started interacting with this guy. And the guy just said, you know, before I leave this world, I want to know where I'm going to be going. And eventually that man gave his life to Christ. As he encountered Jesus, he, he finally got on the branch, right? And he loved the security under his feet. And he's hugging the branch, the trunk, just as good as he can. And he knows his days are numbered. And finally, as he's growing in his faith, he wants to know the real hope that he has. He wants to know everything that he has in Christ Jesus. And our guys start counseling him. And finally, he says this. He goes, you know what, guys? I'm a murderer. I, I did it. I'm convicted, sentenced to death. There's no way I can get out of it. But the one thing I want to do before I leave this world is I want my family, my mother and father, my brothers and sisters, my nieces and nephews, I want them to know the hope in Jesus as the living God that I have found. He wanted to get out on the skinny end of the branch for his family's sake and for his knowledge and, ho and the hope that he had. Well, he only had one chance to share the gospel with his family. And it was his last meal. He knew that his family would get to come and spend a couple of hours with him. They would have a meal together and then he would go to be executed. He told our friends, he said, the only thing I want to do when my family comes, the only thing I want to do is tell them about Jesus. Share with them about that hope. Share about his love. Share how he's changed my life. And when his family came, that's all he did for the whole time he had with them. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And the time was up. Family had to leave. He was executed. As you can imagine, the family was distraught. They didn't know what to do. They were a basket case. Our team in Pakistan went home with them. Sat on the ground with them. Wept and cried with them. Bought food and fed them. And they started making sense to them about everything their relative had shared with them about Jesus. They started a group in their home. And over several weeks, the whole family came to Christ. Right? I know it's tough in your school. I get it. It was tough in my school too. I know it's tough at your job. It's not what they pay you for to win everybody to Christ. At the, it's where you work. Hey, I know it's tough in the hood, in the neighborhood. I know it's tough. It's tough in mine. But where I live in Houston, it's not as tough as death row in a Muslim Pakistani prison. It's just not. And this guy figured it out. And I believe you can figure it out too. And get motivated from the inside to say, you know what? When opportunities come my way, I don't want them to be missed opportunities.
I want to seize that opportunity. Hey, when everything inside me is telling me to hush and stay quiet and slide back, I'm going to fight that and push forward and speak a timely, caring, intentional word focused and centered around Jesus and how he has changed my life to this person God has put in my circle of influence. Think about all the conversations we've had this week. The ones that have been wasted and the ones we seized. And maybe God would put a face on your mind like he did my friend in that Pakistani prison. <clears throat> maybe he put a name on your lips, put a life on your heart. And you'd say, you know what? I want to take those what ifs and turn them into realities. No more wasted opportunities. No more missed conversations. No more guilt trip. I want to fill the well of my life and be ready to speak that timely, fitting word at the next teachable moment and opportunity that comes up. There's some conversations that need to be had in Southeast Houston, right? Right? There's some conversations that need to be had at Thanksgiving coming up with family members. I want you just to pray with me and let's lift up that face, that name, and that life before the Lord. And ask him to grant you the privilege to be the one to speak that fitting, timely word the next time the opportunity comes up. We're going to pray about that in a minute, but I'm going to ask you about one more thing. You're like, KP, I have no idea what you're talking about. What, what is it that you want me to share? My emptiness? My loneliness? The shame and guilt that is compressed on my life that's breaking my spirit? See, KP, you're asking me to tell someone about something that has never transformed my life. And I'm putting words in your mouth, but maybe you're saying, see, I look the part today. I'm at church on Sunday at a First Baptist Church in Texas. I look the part today. But Kevin, I know inside of my heart, everything you've been talking about, that's never happened in me. Never. I've wanted it to happen. I've touched all the bases that the Baptists tell us to touch. But I know I was never touched by Jesus in my heart. There's a wickedness inside of me. There's a darkness inside of me. There's a rebellion inside of me that even the closest people to me don't know. And Kevin, I'm sitting here today, and all I can think about is when you were telling about before your grandpa talked to you. All I can think about is how I'm more close to the guy in the prison before he gave his life to Christ than after. And listen, if that's you, there's a conversation that needs to be had, and that conversation is with you and Jesus. Oh, listen, before we have conversations, we need to have the conversation with Christ. The most honest, real conversation you've ever had in your life where you bear your soul before your creator, lay yourself out before him and say, Jesus, you see it all, you know it all, and I believe you love me in my mess. You died for me on the cross. You've been raised from the dead so that I could have life and be changed right here, right now. 
Just like that Pakistani guy. Just like KP. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to look the part. I can be the part. Listen, man, forget about those other conversations for just a second. You need to have that conversation with Jesus. And we're going to create that opportunity for you right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me, please?